Hello everyone, welcome to the Low Season Travellers podcast, Insider Guides. Today, we have a very special episode with Demetrius Pagliagianis. Demetrius is the founder of Zorba Book, a company that has a passion for connecting travellers with locals through Greek gastronomy experiences. Today, we talk about everything Greek cuisine. From the history of Greek food and the impact Europe has had on the modern Greek food that we know today, to what regions you can find the best pie or grilled octopus, we chat about Zorba Book and their mission, and of course, get Demetrius's recommendations of the must-tries while in Greece. I hope you enjoy today's episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Demetrius. We're very lucky to have you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so what I wanted to ask you about first was a little bit about you, how you got interested in cuisine, the starting of your company, Zorba Book. Yeah, so um, it's, it all started up uh, at university. I went and I studied uh, international tourism management. So I started uh, getting an understanding of what tourism is and how it can benefit uh, a country and specific destinations. And then taking into consideration the, the experiences I have when I was younger, uh, I got the chance to travel around Greece and start getting an understanding of the, the differentiation between regions. And also I got the chance to travel abroad and appreciate Greek cuisine more. Um, and when looking Greece, I mean, there are possibly two big industries. Uh, the, thir- the first one is tourism right now. There's also shipping and uh, it, it also comes to agriculture. So I think um, when I wanted to start off with tourism, I had my experiences working uh, as a tourism consultant for municipalities. I saw some gaps and I had to choose a niche. And what's better than combining food with tourism? Nothing. Nothing is better than combining food with tourism. So you said there that you had the opportunity to go abroad and that made you appreciate Greek food more. So are you saying there that you basically went abroad and then just realized that Greece do it the best? Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to quality ingredients and... um, versatile recipes and uh, long history of food which we will talk about later on and uh, i mean the the biggest challenge was uh, being in university in the uk where of course i had my my nice uh, food temptations uh, mostly on the fast food end but uh, if, if we wanted to stay healthy we had to start cooking so that's when I started uh, calling up my mom and my grandma and starting asking for recipes. And I think that's where I started building a closer bond with, uh, with Greek food. Yeah, mums and grandmas are two very reliable sources when you are looking for good food to eat. Absolutely. Yeah, especially in the, the Greek family environment. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> so... I wanted to ask a little bit of a tough question. Uh, In the past 10 years, Greece have been recovering from a financial recession. Um, They've also, on top of that, had a large refugee crisis from the Middle East. Uh, I wanted to ask this because that is the Greece that we see 
uh, internationally that is reported in the media. So I wanted to give you the chance today to talk about how Greek culture is truly developing in spite of this and how rich it really is despite these tough times that the country is going through. Yeah, well, um, when, when, uh, because I've prepared um, a s- sort of a timeline and flashback in time uh, just to get an understanding of how food kind of evolved in Greece, um, and we we will we will see that famine crises and and stuff were going on in ancient times as well, and they all had direct impact on society, on way of life, on habits, etc. And uh, these ten years, of course, have been devastating for for the Greek economy, for for the society, for the culture, and uh, it's it's been a tough. Uh, a tough journey for Greece to 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 stand upright on it, on its feet and uh, be able to see the the new era of Greece and look forward. So we've got, uh, as you said, the refugee crisis, which is uh, ongoing and is a huge problem, specifically for for islands which are close to Turkey. Um, we've also had the hit of coronavirus now, which uh, has affected. Uh, amazingly, the the tourism industry. Just some quick numbers now. Some estimations is that we will possibly have 4.5 billion of of uh, income from tourism. When last year was around 18 billion. So you can understand how much money is dri- driven out of the economy, and mm. and and specifically when you think about islands which depend may, maybe even 80 percent of their economy. Uh, depends on tourism and specifically during three months. Yeah, that's really tough. I know that that's obviously a repercussion that everyone is feeling around the world. But obviously, you know, being in Greece after a recession, being hit by coronavirus, it's it is devastating. And hopefully, our industry does recover sooner rather than later. Yes, and and in a better way than than it might than it was possibly. <laughs> hope so. I <laughs> hope I corona. hope we can achieve that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So tell me a little bit more about this history of Greek food. I know, obviously, Greece is one of the oldest cultures in the world. What is the timeline so, that yeah, has happened? Uh, so I've, I've put together the, um, the different influences and in, in sort of a, of a timeline. Um, so food is part of our identity and also defines human life since, since it all began. And uh, foodstuffs hide within them their own hidden histories, uh, which have evolved over thousands of years. So uh, starting off 6,000 BC in the region of Thessaly, uh, we have the passage from hunting to agriculture and from living in caves to villages. And uh, however, farming and agriculture was was tough. And uh, we did have farmers who had worse diets than, than hunters and also weather started playing a crucial role. So this had a direct impact on on trade because Greeks were forced to turn to the sea and uh, islanders could not survive and needed direct uh, contact with mainland for food supplies, And but also had the chance to exchange uh, ideas, knowledge and habits. Uh, and take it a, thousand, uh, a couple of thousand years later with the Minoan civilization, uh, the first settlers who brought domesticated animals, seeds, 
and change the Cretan landscape forever. And this is also um, when we see a kind of connection between food and portraying wealth uh, for reasons of prestige. So in the Knossos Palace in Crete, they had created storehouses with these huge po uh, jars that we, we have seen in museums, which uh, held olive oil, grains, pulses, honey, etc. And uh, just to get an understanding of the, the increase in agriculture, these storehouses were designed for around 424 jars, which each could take up to 400 to 500 liters, uh, enormous volumes for those times. Um, and another connection we see is with the religion, when animal sacrifices to the gods start playing a crucial role in Greece, and uh, there's a common cultural identity formed, and also people start coming together. So the Minoans and the Mycenaeans civilizations in palaces started creating gatherings and, and festives. Um, However, these did not depict what the normal people were eating. There was a lot of poverty going on. And, uh, and this was when we started seeing a fusion of foodstuffs, when short shortages were, were, uh, were evident, they started uh, bringing in other products. Uh, so moving on after to Athens in about 1000 BC, uh, again, there were financial problems. People were mainly eating wheat, barley, um, chickpeas, lentils, cabbages, cheese, olive oil, etc. And um, we, we get another understanding of how much trade had evolved. So until 500 BC, Greeks and their wine had reached areas from Crimea to Danube and from Egypt to France. And just to get an understanding, one shipwreck on the coast of France contained 10,000 aphorae, which was the, the ancient um, uh, pots, uh, which, uh, which contained wine, which was almost 300 liters of wine. Um, uh, and moving on, we, we come to the huge, um, uh, let's say, new, um, new habit, beloved habit of Athenians, which was the symposium. And this is where uh, men uh, got together friends and they they lied down on couches and enjoyed uh, their wine which was always mixed with water uh, so they wouldn't get a you know a strong effect and would would be able to sing and uh, do poetry and talk about politics but not lose control and they Smart. never <laughs> yes and they never drank without eating which again this was something really different when I went to the UK and you probably have this uh, custom in, in Australia as well, the so-called free drinking, which was uh, get as much alcohol as you can in your system. <laughs> a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous area. And eating, eating was cheating. This was not the case. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so again, at the same time though, we see, um, a, a differentiation. So at the same time, Athens had these customs and Sparta, the famous city of, of, of Sparta, was a, was a fighting society and they had different 
um, understandings of, of food. So their their meals were were consisting of uh, black broth, which was made of pig's blood, vinegar, salt, and there were Athenian rumors that Spartans couldn't cook. So there was a, <laughs> a, a bit of a clash going on there. Um, and then we we move on to Alexander the Great, of course, who who was uh, the, the first, let's say, bridge between East and West. And uh, he, he actually brought together some um, botanologists and some experts so they can start uh, looking into the new kind of products he was bringing in. So Greece until then didn't have any citrus products, uh, didn't have any peaches, pistachios, etc. Um, the the Roman so that's that's a clear link with uh, with Asia and uh, Eastern influence. Then the Romans came by, and uh, there was influence on that. And we can see in the Ionian Islands, for example, we have a lot of Venetian uh, influence in the in the gastronomy there. Uh, Christianity then comes along in the fourth century A.D. Uh, again, we have poor lack of food famine, starvation, and that's where we start seeing again another relationship with religion, where um, fasting is introduced, where the rich and poor start sitting together on the table and eating and uh, kind of sharing what is left over comes more into, into society. Um, uh, and we've got the Byzantine uh, period and the empire, which, um, which uh, I mean, if, if we looked at a food pyramid, for example, it consisted of greens, uh, bread, uh, bread, fats, meats, and olive oil. Uh, but they also had a problem because they went from in 200 years from a population of 20,000 to 500,000. So wow. you can understand that they had issues of how they were going to feed the people. And, uh, and uh, touching upon the fasting part, this is when the, the, the kind of a, a very evident fish eating society came up because um, fasting days were around 170 to 180 days within a year where people couldn't eat meat. So they kind of had to find a substitute and this was fish. Um, uh, however, this all ended with a mice plague because transportations were in place and this also brought in mice, which uh, brought in the plague and we had the huge catastrophe there. And then we, we end up with the Ottoman period, which uh, with the cuisine we know today is the outcome of, uh, of and, and shaped during the Ottoman period. Uh, Greece consisted back then of small rural communities, which mainly used products that were within the reach. So when you were near the sea, you had seafood, where you had cultivated the land, you had large gardens, fruits, etc. And when you were in the mountains, you had dairy products and meat. And um, we mo move on to the, uh, so, so there we had the connection between breeders starting to trade with farmers. Uh, then we had the introduction of uh, once Columbus uh, discovered uh, America and Latin America, we we had the uh, the the import the import of tomatoes, peppers, corn, potatoes, which were not uh, by that time. So there wasn't a Greek salad back then. <laughs> back then, <laughs> uh, and, and tomato sauce, 
I mean, it was an innovation and transformed cuisine. And then we start getting into the kind of uh, the kind of difficult years and where we didn't see a kind of affluent cuisine and uh, and and Greek cuisine being developed. Uh, we we had the Greek Revolution, which was in 1821, which was devastating, and families were were eating uh, snails and hunting for or for just wild. Uh, herbs, etc. And then because we had the ro royal dynasties coming from Central Europe, they established themselves across Europe and uh, they didn't have, there wasn't a European cuisine, there was a French cuisine. So mm. in Greece, the, um, the embassies started being the foodie destinations and we started seeing receptions and aristocracy and a lot of Greek traditional dishes start being renamed with French names and start being more aristocratic. Um, and then to top it off, we have the first kind of modern cookbook in 1910 called the Tselemede, which uh, kind of uh, told the Greek society to leave behind its past of poverty and rise socially and imitate Fre French fashions and for the middle class to imitate the upper class. So we have the, a, a clear experience of the West and we have cream, butter, bechamel being introduced. So you can understand that there was, there was a big mixture of what we had in the past and where we want to go. And uh, in contributed to considering Greek regional cuisines as inferior. Uh, this was, um, and, and, and that gastronomy in Greece was inferior to the, to the Western world. Um, then we have in 1922, the Asian minor catastrophe, where 1 million people came from uh, what we know of Turkey today uh, to Greece. And that again sparked the whole kind of um, clash between one side of the Aegean, uh, Greece, uh, having a rather austere cuisine, limited means of ingredients. And on the other side, these people coming from what we know of Turkey today, uh, having a really complex multicultural cuisine. And mm. this, this, you know, kind of uh, relationship took some time to, to kind of settle down. Um, and of course, after the World War II and the Civil War, uh, regional cuisine and ethnic cuisines were undermined and rejected. Uh, there was a lot of uh, poverty and famine. And we, we end up in the 60s, 70s, which is what we mostly know of Greek cuisine right now. So the Rockefeller Foundation had visited Greece and had made studies in Crete about how healthy people are. And this is where the whole concept of Mediterranean diet starts mm. arising. And it's the same time where mass tourism starts arising as well. So you've got uh, tavernas, which are starting to become a place of entertainment and Greek food becoming homogenous, gradually spread, spreading throughout Greece, and all taverns having the exact same food because that's what they thought tourists wanted, and that's what the new trend was. 
So you start seeing also pizzas and all these things. And we, we end up having a, a total of five to 10 boring dishes, which are seen all over the country and do not, uh, and when we consider the rich ingredients you can find all over Greece, it, it is a, a real pity. And uh, we come to today where uh, in the 1980s, um, Greece uh, joined the EU and, and there was a, a lot of help um, when uh, we started seeing PDO, so protected destination origins and geographical origins. And then started, uh, people started um, understanding that we need to adapt our needs to, our, to the environment and live in har harmony with nature and that we need to build this new Greek cuisine, which is a composition of memories, fine materials, inspiration, and willingness to create something new. And it's a real challenge, to be honest. Wow. So uh, did I make it? Uh, that's, that was around <laughs> six, seven thousand a year. Yeah, <laughs> that was a very great, <laughs> concise history of Greek cuisine. That was fantastic. Thank you very much for that. I didn't realize how much of an influence other countries had on Greek cuisine. I know because when I think of Greek cuisine, I think, you know, Greek yogurt, Greek feta, Greek olive oil. I feel like you guys would have been the powerhouse that was actually dominating the food in Europe. But I guess the French came and swooped on in introducing their creamy, buttery <laughs> foods. <laughs> Well, you know, our, our diet continues to evolve over time and we all participate in shaping it. Mm. And, you know, uh, we, we can't change the past. The, I, I really believe things happen for a reason. And, you know, just looking at this timeline, we see that there are periods of uh, stability, of, of a kind of a pause, and then someone comes along a new generation, a new kind of um, uh, ideology, which changes stuff. And we see a kind of uh, um, uh, a, a development in, the, in this sense. And, and because these things are, have, are being discussed the last couple of five, six, seven years in Greece, I really, um, I am confident, I don't want to say I hope, <laughs> Uh, that this that the new generation will uh, will build our new agriculture system and of course connected with tourism uh, that's going to be crucial yeah it will happen i like that you don't say i hope you are confident <laughs> that it will happen and you're at the forefront of that demetrius you're you're working up towards it so let's talk a little bit more about modern food now what people are able yeah. to find in greece and obviously greek food is so connected to community family you know it's it's a way of life i very much believe that greek people live to eat not eat to live so yes yeah go on <laughs> so if you were to come to greece now obviously there are many different regions you spoke about the islands and having to have uh fish in replacement for meat for religious reasons if you were to come to greece now what kind of meals are you going to find in the different areas of greece so there's a um, there's a difference in uh, of course destinations and uh, there's also a difference in seasonality uh, mm. which is another major uh, topic when, when when talking about food and nutrition 
So we've got the northern Greece and uh, the Epirus region, which combines mountainous areas and, and sea. And there, there's where we can find a lot of local cheeses and dairy products. And we, we also find pies, which have played a really significant part in uh, Greek, uh, Greek food uh, heritage because it was a cheap uh, kind of food, like pizza in Italy. And mm. uh, just go out to the garden and pick up the vegetables. And you can find extraordinary pies right now in northern Greece, hundreds of different uh, types of pies. And you also find a lot of uh, spoon sweets. So what they do is uh, they they get their uh, fresh fruits and they kind of, um, I'm not sure what the process is called, uh, like you make a, pick, a pickle, uh, you, you make a spoon sweet, which is kept in a jar and you can eat it uh, through, uh, anytime you, you like. And you can uh, accompany it with yogurt and and other things. So in the Aegean, we we see a lot of uh, wild goat meat, uh, pulses, uh, so like fava, and uh, a lot of fresh fish, of course, and seafood appetizers, cheese again, and uh, there are islands which also have their own honey, uh, which is made from different types of, uh, of um, you know, the, the source is different. Um, in the Macedonia region, we have um, multicultural traditions, uh, peppers. Again, we have pulses close to places where there are lakes. And we also have um, a, a kind of the, in, in, in mostly in, the, in Volos, which is not in Macedonia, it's a bit down. Um, we've got the Tsipuradiko tradition. So it's kind of... Uh, just so, so people can have a better understanding, it's like a tapas bar, uh, yeah. a Greek style tapas bar, which again has a huge history. Um, and it's, you get different dishes with your tsipuro. Tsipuro is, uh, is like the brother of ouzo, um, and uh, it's made from, uh, from grapes. And uh, so you, you just order your drink and every time a different kind of meze, a different appetizer comes with your drink. And so you don't actually, we, you don't actually order the food. The food is paired yes. specifically with the drink. Exactly, exactly. Oh. And so every time, every time it's something different. And that's that's exactly the kind of concept which we need to build upon because it's it's very unique, and you get the chance in one meal to taste like 10 different uh, recipes. And uh, then we, we've also got the Peloponnese, of course, huge source of olive oil and, uh, and also very unique uh, traditional recipes. And finally, Crete, which is, I mean, uh, a world of its own, uh, huge history there as well. Wine, wild uh, greens, uh, exceptional local meat. So, there, there, there's so much. I mean, it, it can it can facilitate a vegetarian, someone who loves meat, someone who loves fish, someone who loves small portions, someone who loves huge uh, wedding-like feasts. So mm. yeah, <laughs> for I think uh, yeah, I I think uh, it can actually um, 
everyone is is welcome to Greece and it can satisfy everyone's uh, needs and and wants and likings. And also, like you said, very healthy. I know that the Mediterranean diet was again recently dubbed one of the healthiest diets in the world. And especially with a huge amount of olive oil too, with Greece producing so much olive oil, it's such a healthy addition to any any foods. Yeah, well, well I'm, I'm unfortunately I don't have the statistics right now, but I think Greece is the number one consumer of olive oil uh, in Europe. And uh, we actually, I, uh, I believe, um, um, we, we consume two thirds of the olive oil, which is, uh, which is produced in Greece. Um, but unfortunately, again, this has changed because um, in, the, in the 80s and 70s, a lot of people started leaving the villages and moving into urban centers and a lot of processed food started. Uh, being introduced and now we see that even in Crete uh, we have serious um, issues of obesity and also for the Greek young generation again we see a lot of obesity obesity and illnesses coming coming up because again I still don't think the whole inferior thing has faded away and mm. uh, people still feel they are better off having a pizza than having a, a, a pie, a Greek traditional pie. Uh, so, so this is a change. So when you talk about pie, I know countries all have their own definition of pie. Because if you say pie in America, you're going to get pumpkin pie and all these different kinds of things. In Australia, you're talking about a meat pie with tomato sauce on top. What is a Greek pie? So a Greek pie um, can be either a very thin, crunchy layer of phyllo dough, um, mm. or it can be a really like fat bread, bread-like pie. And um, you can you can have so from kotopita, which is chicken pie, to pies with over thirty different kinds of greens, to vegetable pies, to any kinds of pies. So they 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 mostly look at, to spinach pie, of course. Spinach and feta pie is the classic. Spanakopita. Spanakopita, exactly. <laughs> you see, you know. <laughs> oh, I love spanakopita. I, I've been. Yeah, I want to ask about spanakopita. That's where I was hoping <laughs> my pie question was going to end up. <laughs> yeah, so cheese pie and spanakopita is the the major pies, and it was the mostly everyday breakfast for for us uh, students going to school. And we've also seen we have also got sweet pies. So in Thessaloniki we have bugatsa, which is. Um, uh, you've got a custard cream inside that crispy phyllo dough. And most of them come in the shape of a, of a circle. And they are cooked in uh, open uh, wooden ovens and, uh, and brick ovens, etc. I know that I promised you off air that I was not going to salivate during this, this interview, <laughs> but uh, I have broken my promise. I'm going to need to definitely cook some Greek food tonight. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and we have we have solutions for that. And you have an excellent uh, Greek diaspora in Australia, 
Uh, in Melbourne, there are fantastic places which I have discovered, and there are second generation uh, Greek Australians who are doing a fantastic job to, to share all these things which are known about Greek food. So you, you won't find it difficult to find the products and yeah. even find the ready, ready dishes. <laughs> yeah, the, the Greek culture in Melbourne is huge. We actually, uh, Melbourne actually has the largest Greek population outside of Athens. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. that's true. So I know that I'll be able to find good Greek food for my Friday <laughs> night takeaway tonight. Until travel bans are off and you will be coming with the LSD team to Greece. We've got oh. a lot to do here. <laughs> oh, I'll be on your doorstep knocking and we will be cooking together. Don't you worry about that. I want your mum and grandma's recipes. <laughs> <laughs> so also food is so important, but I also want to touch on alcohol. As you said, you know, you can go yes. to a place and, and order alcohol and I have experienced ouzo in my life before. I don't know if it was the best best quality ouzo, but yeah. can you tell us a little bit more about the ouzo and the wines that Greece has to offer? Yeah, so um, starting off with the ouzo and different islands have different kind of li liqueurs. And uh, so you've got Suma in the island of Hios, which is also, uh, I don't know if you've come across it, have you come across Mastic? before I haven't, no. Mas Masticha. So Masticha is also, you, you can get it in, a, in a, an alcoholic drink, which comes as a shot. And it's, it's good to have after your, your dinner. Uh, so Masticha, Chios is the only place in the world where Masticha grows. So the Mastic tree can grow in other parts of the world, in other, in other parts of, of Greece, they've tried but only the southern part of Hios, this kind of sap uh, uh, comes out of the tree, these kind of tears, and is collected and is a really unique product and it's uh, very beneficial for your health. Uh, so you've got a huge culture of, uh, of, of alcohol. Tsipuro uh, is seen as a relaxed kind of, um, kind of drink uh, and also the Funny, funny thing is, which would interest a lot of uh, people in the Western world, is that you don't get that hangover effect. As wow. weird as it sounds. It's a big claim. <laughs> it's a big claim. Yeah. <laughs> that is a big claim. And, uh, and especially if you accompany it with, with food. And with wine, again, yeah, you, you know, we, we talked about thousands of years before where we see, we see the first wine being produced and thankfully a lot of these ancient varieties have been kept especially uh, we we see that in in crete we we have in emea in the peloponnese uh, another wine uh, wine region and also in northern greece and we we can also find wine in, in islands and one of the most famous ones which because it has been branded well and has a unique story and shared it is santorini where you you also get that uh, kind of different taste to the wines because of the volcanic eruption and because all these uh, vineyards are sitting on top of uh, this fertile land so a, a huge alcohol culture with not so much i would say alcoholism uh, <laughs> well, because you know that you 
you know that you need to eat with your alcohol. So you guys have nailed it. You have that huge alcohol culture with food. It's the perfect pairing. Yes, and, and you know, since ancient Greece, one of the, the most important sayings was uh, the most important thing is, is balance. So mm. if you find the balance with things, uh, I think you, you're on the safe side. And with wine also, this might, might sound a bit weird, but when we were getting together families and having big dinners, etc., because wine was on the table from kids, we got the chance to get a sip each time or, and ah. try it. So you would start to have a, a kind of appreciation for wine and understand it. And this, I believe, helps a lot uh, once being, uh, if, you, if you have drunk your first sip of wine at the age of uh, 10, and of course you're not drinking a whole glass, so you won't mm. have the effect. It's not such a big deal, uh, which will result in problems of someone being introduced to alcohol when he's 18. You, 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 yeah. you understand yeah, the normalization of it, that there's not a taboo about it. So, you know, when you do become a teenager, you're not trying to sneak away and, you know, steal your parents' vodka or something like that. You you understand and have the respect for it already. Yeah, it's a really smart way to do it. Uh, you mentioned that obviously Greece has a massive community and culture around eating food together, uh, a very much a sharing culture. And I heard a little bit about that if people do travel to Greece by themselves, that when they do sit at a restaurant, people assume that there's always going to be other people coming to join them, that food is always going to be shared. Can you give yeah. any tips for people that are going to Greece if they are trying to seek out this community uh, to share food with, if they are there by themselves? Yeah, so I, I believe solo traveling is is going to be the next thing in Greece and it can certainly support it. So anyone who is a, an artist in general, so writers, painters, uh, content creators, it, it's, a, it's a safe place and you can just have the journey and you will meet different people. And specifically if you're traveling during the low season, which is a, a big thing, uh, which needs to be a big thing, um, you will get a different kind of um, uh, approach from the locals because they're not crazy, working crazy hours and, uh, and they will be able to focus on you. And, you know, just be open to try things and to share. And, you know, it makes me really sad and uh, that's where I, I started seeing the issues and I, and I wanted to find solutions through Zorba book. Uh, when I see uh, travelers coming to Greece and getting two plates uh, on the table. So they're going to get a Greek salad and a moussaka, which they've probably <sighs> tried another three times. <laughs> Is that yeah, what you I, can, I see why that would hurt you. <laughs> that, that hurts me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and they, they, they will get the same dishes in, in, the, in different places. And uh, it's, it's, the whole thing is about sharing, is about talking, is about, you know, you, you walk into a Greek taverna and you, you, you see the huge tables with people sitting on them. Of course, coronavirus has affected this. And 
you in a, in a group of six people you might see 15 plates on the tables and then discussions around politics start sports uh their neighborhood all these things so mm. it's it's an entertainment thing it's it's really a special occasion of the day that's exactly what travelers want you know especially low season travelers when they go to a place they really want to be able to connect with the culture and the people and the community and i know you believe this as well and i personally believe it too that that's it's done through food and it's done through this incredible sharing environment and i think greece is a real front runner in that sense that they really embrace the people and they know that food is for sharing and that it is community and that anyone is welcome to participate in it. I just think that's just such a beautiful culture rather than having separate tables and, you know, going out with just one other person and having your moussaka and Greek salad. <laughs> yeah, it's good that in the villages especially, this local pride uh, is still there and they want to share their story and you will go and you will see the the greek grandmas and uh, you might even ask them uh, can i come in look at your kitchen and she she might even take you uh, in the morning to go and milk the uh, you know the the goats and the and the sheep uh, so the just just get engaged i mean explore mm. and don't don't be afraid to try and connect and and you know you won't find these crazy things you might find in other parts of the world so you're always on the on the safe side the, the craziest thing you might try is probably some uh, animal intestines <laughs> or yeah. or maybe or maybe uh, brain so <laughs> it's not that crazy you won't have to eat uh, weird things Mm. So if people are looking for experiences, especially in villages, I know that your company, Zorba Book, offer a lot of experiences as well. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so the, 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 the problem in general uh, with Greek tourism is that, as we said, we saw a huge uh, increase and we saw a huge increase of mass tourism. And unfortunately, the whole understanding and per perception of tourism is mostly on a host hospitality hotel approach and not so much on a destination management approach. So you can understand that all this development of tourism has not been done on a basis of, um, of strategy and planning. And the same thing goes with, with food and food tourism. Uh, so I, I saw these things and thankfully there are amazing, I call them diamonds around Greece, which are new companies, startups, which are starting to get into the experience sector, which I believe are, are the, 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 new, the new age of, of travel agencies. So what Zorba Book is doing is that we are uh, coming to uh, going to the specific destinations where we see the potential and we start partnering with experienced companies uh, which might run food tours which might run uh, tastings cooking classes but all having an authentic and unique uh, uh, kind of concept to them and uh, we also now are working on, uh, we actually are, uh, are creating our new platform right now because Zorba Book started off three years ago 
and I take these three years as a master's degree in uh, in reality. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and you know, just see, after seeing the models and seeing how you can implement and how you can develop kinds of tourism, and then seeing how this can be done uh, in reality and in the in the gr uh, ground context, let's say, and the current ideo uh, ideologies and beliefs. So what we're doing is we're also creating a new concept. We're going to be partnering with uh, restaurants, so authentic taverns and restaurants with local produce. And we will also be uh, having experiences for the travelers in these restaurants and taverns. And through their, their grouped experiences, they will be able to get a full understanding through one meal of the local produce and local, local dishes. And, um, and the final part is with uh, suppliers and producers. This is a huge thing. Um, for, Greece cannot, uh, never had and never will have quantity. It has quality. Mm. Uh, so we can never catch up with Spain and Italy in terms of uh, having quantity and uh, giving it to the, the rest of the world. Uh, what we can do is sustain these small farmers and these small family businesses. And what, what Zorba Book is trying to do is open up the, their understanding of how they can be connected with tourism and how they can have alternative sources of income with tourism. So we had, and this has been happening only in the past five years in Greece. So wine tasting has, has just come across the past five, 10 years maximum. And uh, these farmers, because they are farmers and they're not tourism specialists, uh, etc., they don't understand this concept. And this is what needs to start being introduced. There are people who have moved forward, but it's only private, you know, entrepreneurship and, uh, and uh, initiatives. Uh, that's what we're trying to do for the winery to sell its bottled wines, but make even more money out of having a, a, a visited place and also share its story and share its brand. Uh, so this is the types of experiences we're we we're going to have on our on our new platform, and we are creating you know a, an ecosystem because all these people we're bringing on board and businesses will be interconnected. We will create local clusters, and we are doing it at the moment. And of course, another big part is the the things happening abroad. So starting from Australia. Uh, we are also creating a cluster of uh, food bloggers, Greek-Australian food bloggers, retailers, restaurants, to bring them together and to start strategically promoting uh, and uh, building the ground for the Australian consumers. And the same things will happen in other countries. So you will be able to find experiences, Greek food experiences, in your country as well. Uh, so yes. while you're on holidays in Greece and when you're at home, that's the whole mission. <laughs> that's the perfect mix. <laughs> so I want to end on this final question. I know it might be a little bit difficult, but what would be your top three, or you can have maybe four meals mm -hmm. to try if you were to come to Greece? What are your absolute favorites? 
Okay. So I'm going to say the first one, which is my favorite. It's an easy pick. It's called Bekri Meze. And uh, it has a, um, an, an influence and it derives from Asia Minor. And it's called the Drunk Man's uh, Meze. So it's uh, <laughs> So that's what they were eating when they were having their drinks. Uh, it's uh, stewed uh, beef, um, and um, uh, and it's uh, in tomato sauce with spices and with wine, and uh, it's served with uh, either fr French fries or uh, pasta. And because we're keeping it Greek, we'll say hilopites, which is the Greek kind of pasta. It's it looks like a thin uh, lasagna, lasagna um, mm. tagliatelle. Uh, so this is the first one. The second one. Uh, I knew this okay, would this, be a hard question I'll, for I'll you. I'll give a salad. I'll give a salad. So it's Almira greens, which again, it's it's very unique. It's greens which look like uh, the pine leaves, so they're like long and kind of spiky, and they are only produced two months a year during summer. Uh, so that makes them even more unique. And mm -hmm. you can have them with a nice uh, sauce and some chopped tomato. That's the second one. The third one, I have to say, uh, Cretan meat. And it's done in a, in a special way. Uh, it's called Adi Cristo. And this is uh, when I've seen it in other parts of the world. It's when you lit a fire and you kind of have chopped the, um, the meat and you put it on each side uh, on like a metal bar. And this uh, allows it to slow cook for like seven hours, eight hours. And you can understand that this is also the kind of healthiest way of barbecuing because all the fat drops off the meat and is not constantly dripping on the coal or, or fire. So you don't have those those um, bad, uh, let's say, uh, steams coming out. And the last one, it has to be a, a pulse. So fa fava, be fava beans um, uh, crushed in, um, in kind of a dip and topped with uh, nice caramelized onions and um, capers and uh, a bit of um, finely chopped Greek cold cut meat. <laughs> oh, we. Oh, wow. <laughs> they are excellent. That's, that's, a nice, that's a nice table with a glass yeah, of wine. Yeah, that's a nice spread. Yeah. yeah, and end up with a shot of ouzo. It's a perfect Greek meal. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Demetrius. It's been an absolute pleasure. I have really loved learning about greek food and once coronavirus is over i cannot wait to come visit and try as many experiences as you will let me <laughs> pleasure was mine and uh, looking forward to see you here and try all these things together thank you thank you again to demetrius for joining our podcast today it was a joy to learn about the rich history of greek food and the importance of food in greek culture Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, family, and social networks. Stay safe and healthy, keep your travel dreams alive, and now, more than ever, travel is better without the crowds.